0: Amen and amen, hallelujah. How, how are y'all doing today? You good? Good. How many uh, cicadas y'all stepped on this week? Too many to count? Zero? Oh, yeah, Butch is over here. High in protein. He's eating them. All right. Uh, well, uh, good morning. Welcome. If you're new here, uh, I'm Nick. I'm one of the, uh, the pastors here on staff. And we're, we've been going through a sermon series in Acts. And today where we find ourselves is in Acts 5, verses 12 through 16. Acts 5, verses 12 through 16. Open up your Bibles there. Turn there. Tap there. Turn them on. Uh, verses will be on the screen. So what we're going to do is we're going to read this text out loud together, pray, and then dive in. So read this with me. Or catch up to me when I start reading it. All right, now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Uh, heavenly father we just come uh thanking you and praising you jesus for our redemption that um, when you came, you didn't uh, into our lives. You didn't leave us the way you found us, but you made our mess beautiful. You died to forgive us of our sins, and your word teaches that we in you we are a new creation. And through the in, indwelling of your Holy Spirit, you are making us into a new creation, conforming you into your image. So thank you for all the blessings that flow through your death and resurrection to us, Jesus. If we possess you. We possess everything. So I pray today that your name would be magnified and glorified, that we would exalt you today uh, as healer and deliverer and savior and king over all, who has entrusted us with the mission to advance your glorious kingdom to the ends of the earth. So may we be found faithful today as you've been faithful to us, and may we answer uh, the call, the invite that's in this text to say yes and Amen. To proclaim your kingdom and advance it in love to those that are broken and afflicted around us, Lord Jesus. So I ask, Holy Spirit, you'd come and you would speak, you'd have your way, and you'd magnify Jesus today, that he would increase and I would decrease up here. And we pray this in your name, amen. All right, well, um, the title of my sermon today is, What Would Jesus Do? Anyone remember the WWJD bracelets? Yes, who here, who here still is rocking one? Anyone rocking one today? Uh, okay. Okay um i'm not knocking it it's great but one of the one of the questions like i'm I'm an avid reader and uh and, and 21st century church is asking that question kind of repeatedly of what does it mean to be a disciple of jesus christ if he's commissioned us to go make disciples and to follow him and kind of be his apprentices then what does it mean to be a follower of jesus and all these books i've read or kind of classes i've taken on discipleship they all say jesus christ is our model yes for faith and for practice yes and amen right he's our model for faith and practice our example so you'll read these books and what's astounding to me about these books is they kind of relegate following jesus to master the spiritual disciplines and be nice they kind of relegate the entire christian walk to having really good christian habits and being nice and listen We've talked about the disciplines. I'm not knocking the disciplines or being nice. Like, don't be a jerk, you know, whatever. But all I'm saying is this, is that I think there's far more, I have a hunch that there's far more that Jesus Christ has redeemed us and invited us into than just cute quiet times at Starbucks with a $6 mocha frappuccino, okay? I just have a hunch, right? And in our text today, we encounter uh, the, the way the apostles wore their WWJD bracelets, all right? We actually see them not asking what would Jesus do. We actually see them go, going and doing what Jesus did. Doing what Jesus did. And what's fascinating to me in uh, all the books, I've read, and I'm not saying I've read every single book on discipleship in 2020 in you know, or whatever, okay? but at least the stream I've been in, it's fascinating to me is to see the shocking absence when we talk about following Jesus in these books and no one ever makes a mention of advancing the kingdom and praying for the sick to be healed, and casting out demons. No one ever makes a mention of that. And uh, in in the books I've read, it's it's startling to me. Now listen, real quick, if you thought Acts 5, Ananias, and Sapphira was going to stretch you, uh, this sermon's going to stretch you a little bit as well, all right? Because this might be news to you. This might be news to you that Jesus himself was an exorcist. It might be news to you that Jesus was a healer. And it might be news to you that our, our, our church fathers, the apostles, were exorcists and healers as well in the name of Jesus. And we're going to see today that the gospel of the kingdom is, is, uh, is, is far grander and a far bigger scope than we could ever imagine. And we've been invited into something that's far more fascinating and beautiful than I think we have kind of understood it in the 21st century church in the West that's been more influenced by naturalism than actually our Savior and what he teaches us in the gospels and in Acts, okay? And so uh, the reason this absence in discipleship literature is shocking to me because if you read the gospels, the eyewitness accounts of King Jesus and what he came to do, you see the emphasis he put on, yes, proclaiming the kingdom of God, but also advancing it through healing the sick and raising the dead, cleansing the leper, and casting out demons, okay? Okay, so follow my logic here, okay? One, we see the emphasis that Jesus put on on this, okay? It was central to his ministry. And then two, we see that he commissioned the 12 apostles and the 72 no-name, non-apostles, to do the exact same thing. And then he commissioned, at Matthew 28, the Great Commission, he commissioned those 11 disciples to go make disciples who do what he commanded them to do. So follow my, follow my line of reasoning here. One, we see Jesus himself put a, a central emphasis to proclaiming the, the kingdom, but also advancing it through healing and deliverance. Matthew four twenty-three. And he went throughout, Jesus, he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And watch this, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him, all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics. And he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. That's one text of many texts that I could share about the ministry of Jesus involving, yes, proclaiming the kingdom and advancing it through healing and deliverance. And then if that's not enough for you to be like, Jesus is our model for faith and practice. This is what he clearly did. This was central to his ministry. Well, he commanded the 12 and commissioned them to do it, and also the 72 in Luke 10. So look at Matthew 10. We're just doing a journey through Matthew right now. Jesus commissioned the 12 and the 72 to do what he did. Matthew 10, 1, and then 7 through 8. And he called to him... His twelve disciples uh, and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. Okay, you see that verse on the screen? He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And then going to seven and eight, and proclaim as he goes, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then you get four commands here of Jesus heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons. Now, can I just say that? What Jesus here is commissioning the 12 to do, and he gives the same commission, not just to the apostles to the 72, is far more exciting than, than, than just uh, uh, Starbucks Christianity, right? It's far more exciting. There's, there's, a, there's a kingdom of darkness that's infiltrated the world, and he's entrusted to us his kingdom, his power and his authority to go and to push back that darkness and advance his kingdom in love, in good deeds done in love to those around us, and also by the power of God of his spirit, and the power of his name. We are born into the middle of a war. This was central to Jesus' ministry and his thinking. 1 John 3, 8, one of my favorite verses, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So then he commissions them to do it, uh, giving them, he says, I give you my power, my authority, and now what you've seen me do, what you have seen me do, now I am entrusting to you that mission to go advance the kingdom as well. And then, if that's not enough, if we go to the Great Commission, Matthew 28, every book on discipleship is going to ask this question of, Jesus said, go and make disciples. So how do we become a community of disciples of Jesus who make disciples? What does it look like? WWJD, to follow Jesus. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to the eleven, right before his ascension, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit watch verse 20 teaching them to observe all can you say all all that i have commanded you to do commanded you to do and so i'm just quoting scripture here to you if we were to take a logical deduction here and ask jesus commanded his disciples to do a lot of things right And some things are situational. But one of the primary things that was central to what he commanded his disciples to do was to heal the sick and cast out demons. That was central to what he came to do because that's how the kingdom was advancing in power against the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of God coming, okay? And so the implication of that is ad infinitum. You tracking with me? Throughout the centuries, followers of Jesus who have seen what Jesus has done and then Jesus commands them to go, what I've done, now you go do. You go to the nations and you teach other people to do what I taught you to do and command you to do. And then we, in the 21st century, due to the influence of naturalism in the church, we cherry pick. We cherry pick what, what is weird to us, and we create a thought, a theology, and that's the weird stuff that no longer happens anymore. Right? Where it just, it's, fa- it's fascinating. I read these books, and they'll explicitly say, Jesus is our model. And I'm waiting for I'm waiting for prayer. Uh, kingdom, uh, the demonic, spiritual, nothing, Zippo. And it was central, central to what all that I have. And I I guarantee you, maybe for some of you, you probably never saw that before in scripture, never heard that before. Jesus says, go and teach them to obey all that I have commanded you to do. That's discipleship. What did Jesus command them to do, okay? Um, And so all that to say, that's my intro, okay? (laughs) All that to say, we get to Acts 5. And we see this beautiful picture in Acts 5 of the apostles wearing their WWJD bracelet, okay, and doing what Jesus did. And it's almost verbatim that if you were to read the text we read at the beginning of the sermon, Acts 5, and any mention of the apostles you replaced with Jesus, you would have thought that that text would have belonged in the Gospels and not in Acts not in Acts. So, so what they got the download of is I, we've seen Jesus do this. He's commissioned us to do this, and this is how his kingdom advances. Yes, we proclaim the kingdom. We preach the gospel. We see so many sermons that are just all about exaltation of King Jesus, who has conquered sin, death, and the grave. And then, too, we see the power of the Spirit moving in signs and wonders in our text. It's beautiful. That's what we see. They're outside the temple proper, uh, and we're going to see... Uh, we're going to see why it says in our text, no one dared to join them next week, is the apostles were on the temple grounds. The temple grounds in Jerusalem uh, were dozens of acres. It was like a city. It was like a huge area of a city. It wasn't just one building. The temple proper was surrounded by temple grounds, and you had these other buildings and porticos. And so uh, they kind of set up their tent revival meeting at Solomon's Portico, all right? And that Solomon's Portico, that place, is where we see this beautiful picture of where heaven The reality of the kingdom of heaven is invading the sin-cursed earth. And so people are coming limping, diseased, carried in on mats and cots. They're coming messy with disease and demonic affliction or covered in their sins. And they're hearing the gospel preached. They're getting salvation. They're getting reconciliation to God the Father. And they're also getting physical affliction lifted and, and, and demonic oppression lifted as well. It's absolutely beautiful. And this wasn't a weird... Side hustle, lunatic fringe thing that the early church did. This was uh, a central thing to what accompanied their preaching of the gospel, was, was advancing the kingdom of God. And so it begs the question this is what I'm sure you're asking it begs the question why healing and deliverance? Why physical healing? Why, why deliverance from demonic spirits? Why not just preach the gospel of, of the forgiveness of sins? which is beautiful, the Lamb of God that was slain. The greatest miracle is salvation. So if you're coming to the transit, rest assured, we will always preach Christ crucified uh, because we want to see souls saved. Yes, we want to see people healed, but you can be healed and not be saved. You can actually be delivered from demonic stuff and not be saved. We want to see people come to saving faith in Jesus, which is an act of warfare because we're robbing hell. It's a transfer it says from the kingdom of darkness and a transfer into the kingdom of god but why why healing and deliverance and what scripture clearly articulates is that the work jesus christ came to do is so much bigger than we could ever imagine it's the peter says it in his sermon in acts 3 the restoration of all things the restoration of all things we have kind of a truncated kind of small gospel and the scope of the redemptive work of jesus is all creation being renewed and restored back into god's original intent for his creation where sin sought to distort uh his image and 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 and, and mar the imago day of humanity and the kingdom of darkness who rebelled against god and seeks to destroy his creation No, no the lord is taking it back through his son and he's ushering in his kingdom and reclaiming what is rightfully his through the death and resurrection of his son. And he's entrusted us with that mission to go do the same across the face of the earth. Amen? Hallelujah. And restoration, if you look at the word restoration, the re- restoration is the action of returning something to a former owner, place, or condition. Isn't that beautiful? And so Jesus Christ, if you're here today in Christ Jesus, he has restored your soul and is restoring you right? He has returned you to your rightful owner, right? He has purchased you with his blood. He's reconciled you back to your Father, and he's, rest- watch this, he's restoring you to your true humanity, right? That's what sanctification is, is becoming less and less like, like sin, and, and, the, and, 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 and the kingdom of darkness, and more and more conformed into the image of, of a son, restoring you, your true humanity, giving you life back, and life abundantly. This is what a theologian, <laughs> Jorgen Moltmann says, okay, say that 10 times fast. Jorgen Moltmann, he says this, I love this quote. When Jesus expels demons and heals the sick, he is driving out of creation the powers of destruction and is healing and restoring created beings who are hurt and sick. The lordship of God, to which the healings witness, restores creation to health. Watch this, I love this line. Jesus' healings are not supernatural miracles in a natural world. They are the only natural thing in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. Woo! Ain't that beautiful? Miracles, the, I'll say it again, the only, they are the only truly natural thing in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. So the miracles of Jesus are not an interruption of the natural order, they are the restoration of the natural order. That's what he does. He re, he's recreating, he's in the restoration business. There's a, sl- kids, this one's for you. Where are my kids at? Slugs and Bugs. Who's, the, who's the, who here like Slugs and Bugs? The kids, song. And just me? Pastor Nick's favorite Slugs and Bugs song is this. God makes messy things beautiful when you put them in Is it? Man, nobody. Okay, anyways, <laughs> just me. All right, uh, well, my family loves Slugs and Bugs. Great recommendation. Great songs out there for you parents that don't drive you insane. But my, my daughter was singing that the other day on her bike and I had actually heard it and I was, and I, and I was like, that's stunning. That's, That's exactly what Jesus Christ came to do. That's exactly what we see him do in Acts 5. He makes messy things beautiful. And then he commissions us when he comes and he cleans up our mess and the trash of our lives to go and be agents of healing and redemption and deliverance to those around us. It's the most beautiful invitation in all the world. Jesus makes messy things beautiful. His miracles are giving back to undeserving sinners their true humanity. And that's why healing and deliverance is so central to the ministry of Jesus is because it's him restoring bringing restoration, bringing the fullness of his kingdom to our lives. And the implication that follows is that we should expect Jesus to continue that today. And so here's the tension that I know that we're sitting in, is this picture in Acts 5 is remarkable, right? It's absolutely remarkable. I mean, there's so many multitudes coming to salvation in Christ and getting healing that they have to line them up in mats mats and cots so that when Peter moonwalks by them, and his shadow falls on them they're popping up off the ground right i mean that's amazing peter's a walking glory cloud like he's just like you know like how do you i mean that's that's incredible that's crazy right so this clearly there is something here that in this era of human history the outpouring of the spirit this is unique right and so then we live in this tension whenever we talk about the kingdom of god okay we're going to live in this tension of the already and not yet of the kingdom anyone here heard of that before Read the already. So Jesus Christ is seated on the throne. He's ascended at the right hand of the Father. He's poured out his spirit. The kingdom of God is at hand. He's come. Our king is seated, okay? So kingdom has come. It's already here. And yet here's the dilemma. And yet it's still coming. The fullness thereof. There's coming a day where there will be no more death, no more demonic, no more pain, no more tears, no more farewelling loved ones on their deathbed, no more pestilence, no more cicadas, so on and so forth. Like, like there's coming a day. That day is coming, and we live in this tension between the already and not yet. And I'm going to give you big fancy words that theologians use to talk about uh, spectrums of expectations of, of seeing God operate in power in his kingdom come, okay? And you can fall in, you can fall in the camp of being naive, and the fancy word would be an, having an over-realized eschatology would be the technical term. Or you can be hopeless and have an underrealized eschatology. So if you're over here in this lane and you're like, the kingdom has come, and it means this. If the kingdom is already here, what that means is my life will be all victory and no defeat. Every time I lay hands on someone, they will get healed. Every time I preach the gospel, they'll get saved. Every time uh, I need a million dollars in my bank account, I'll name it and claim it, and boom, that'll just show up in my mailbox a million dollars, right? There will, there will never be a day in my life, any dark nights of the soul. There will be no grief, no sorrow, no, no confusion in my faith of being confronted with evil and, and confusion. None of that. It's all victory, baby, no defeat. That's an over-realized view of the kingdom, okay? Uh, we're still, the battle continues. The kingdom is here. But the battle still rages it's like uh, theologians talk about d-day when the allied forces stormed the beaches of normandy world war ii is essentially declared over but there was a year almost a year of continual fighting where the battle the war was won but the battle still raged and we're living between d-day and v-day essentially and we know that day is coming so it gives us hope i don't think a lot of us in our camp are in our name and acclaim it you know, where you grab it and grab it type of whatever. I think we're, I think we're over here where we're not naive. We're actually, we're actually faithless and hopeless, where uh, the Christian life sometimes can be seen as all defeat and no victory, uh, all, 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 all disease and no healing, all affliction and no uh, triumph over that affliction, no, no progressive victory over my sin, just living under the dominion of, of everything that's coming against me in life and never expecting to get progressive victory over that which is enslaving me, okay? And I've been teaching my kids uh, baseball, America's favorite sport, um, because <laughs> they went to a kid's birthday party and played baseball, I loved it, so we got them, uh, uh, you know, one of, those, one of those bats that's like this big, you know, and, uh, and a wiffle ball, and I've been teaching them, and listen, swinging for a pitch is a, is a great act of faith. It's a great act of faith, right? When you step up to the plate and you swing, you can either have an over-realized eschatology or underrealized under-realized eschatology, right? You can step up into the plate and say, every time I swing, grand slam, point to the, you know, to outside the ballpark, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit it. And it's so, like, initially, when your kids are, you know, are they... Anyways, this is, this is their stance right here. It's like... If you're perfect form, right? Like, I mean, it's an awesome scene. But when they, when they swing and they miss, there's this kind of like, wait, that shouldn't have happened, right? Because they have an over-realized eschatology. That should have hit that out of the park. What happened? Or, and then sometimes, and sometimes as they miss, then they switch to the under-realized eschatology where they say, you know what? I'm never going to, the ball's never going to be hit. And so I'm just going to lay down the bat and never swing again in my life and come up with a theology that says that God never shows up when I step up to the plate. And instead of that view, what Jesus invites us to as a church is is faith. It's called faith and obedience. Faith is expectation that our king is risen and he can move, right? Faith is expectation that our king is risen and that he can move. Oh, man. I got way ahead of myself and missed a very important point. I'll keep going. Faith is the expectation that Jesus is seated and he can swing. And if I step up to the plate, that he can move and I'll be obedient when the pitch comes to swing and he's sovereign. There's a mystery there, and I understand that he might not, but if the opportunity comes and someone wants a prayer for healing, let me be the one to pray for healing and leave the results to him, okay? And if we're, uh, this is what I missed at first. I was going to say, talking about is Acts 5 for today, we we either go yes or no, and if yes, to what degree? And the degree that we should be walking in is, is faithful obedience and expectation that our Savior can do what we see here, right? Um, And to answer the yes or no question of does healing and deliverance continue for today, my simple response would be this. For those of you who are maybe skeptical or maybe wrestling with this, I just ask you the simple question. Is Jesus still enthroned? Is he still king? Is he still king? Has our resurrected Savior forever rendered sin, death, and the devil defeated? Has he? Because I don't know if I missed a memo somewhere that there is an expiration date on the power of my ascended king to overcome the devil and disease and the grave. I don't know if I missed a memo that there's an expiration date to his kingdom still advancing in power the way it did before. He's still enthroned, church. That's what it comes down to is, is he Lord and has his kingdom come? And if it has, then all this crazy stuff still happens today because he's still triumphing. And he wants us to say yes and amen and maybe rethink our cute Christianity Western church model that's not working, by the way, and maybe start doing some of the stuff he he wants us to do by the power of his spirit because that's what he did and that's what he commissioned his disciples to do and that's what we're seeing take place in our church. People are coming to know Jesus and they're getting healed and they're getting delivered and the kingdom of God is advancing and Jesus is restoring, restoring people to their natural order. (laughs) It comes out to an issue is he king and is he enthroned and is his kingdom still advancing and if it is then then, then this is still happening yes to, to various degrees uh than we see in the in the apostolic era which is certainly unique in the outpouring of the holy spirit but certainly it's still happening today so we have a prayer ministry at the transit um oh and then <laughs> and then the rebuttal would be this well i've never seen it i've never seen anyone healed i've never seen anyone deliver and then my question to, to you would be, well, have you ever gotten up to the plate and swung? Have you ever laid hand on someone who is sick and prayed that God would heal them and expect God to heal them? Have you ever prayed for someone who's wrestling with severe depression or anxiety and prayed for them to see what the Holy Spirit does in that moment? That would be my response, because a lot of times you go, well, I haven't seen it. Well, have we been praying? Because for, my, for the longest time in my story, uh, until recently, this past year and a half, laying hands on someone and praying for them was the weirdest thing in the world, right? It was like, Oh, you know, like I don't even remember Jeff, we were going through a sermon series on James and, and, and Pastor Jeff was, you know, we talking about healing and Pastor Jeff busted out anointing oil and he's praying for this couple and he invited me to come over. And I was like trying to like, you know, I was like, oh, this is so weird. It was so weird to me, right? But I've had this unveiling in my life where all of a sudden I've encountered God's power to heal and to save and to deliver. And now, and now I'm laying my hands on everyone because I want to see what the Lord's going to do because he's still doing it today. And so what if this is not the weird, uh, you know, kind of lunatic fringe thing of Christianity? What if this is central to what Jesus called us to do? Just in faith, pray for people and see what he does. See Step up to the plate when those opportunities come and pray for them. So we have a prayer ministry at the transit based on Luke four, the calling of the Messiah Jesus Christ in Luke four opens up the scroll to Isaiah Isaiah sixty one. He says, "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me," and uh, then he further down he goes to so bind up the brokenhearted and set at liberty those who are in captivity. That's what Jesus Christ does. He sets the captive free and he, he binds up the brokenhearted. He heals. He restores us back to our natural humanity. And uh, listen, this this prayer ministry would be known as inner healing and deliverance. And I want to say this. Uh, we are in the Acts 29 network. Matt Chandler's church, who, Matt Chandler is the president of Acts 29, the village church, has this prayer ministry at their church. They call it Freedom Prayer. Sam Storms has this prayer ministry at his church, okay? And... Um, Our hope with this prayer ministry is that it would be like Solomon's portico, a picture of Acts 5, that the transit church would be known as a a refuge, a a hospital of sorts where the afflicted and the broken and the the depressed can come and get healed and get delivered and get set free. And the beautiful thing about this is we are seeing God do just that. It's incredible. And I'll share a couple stories with you. Um, One, I'll share this story. Um, This happened this past month where someone came for, for, for breaking off things that were binding them, okay? Things that they couldn't shake off. It was, was kind of, so our prayer team, I wasn't present, but our, our prayer team was praying uh, with this individual and kind of breaking some stuff off spiritually. They met for a, a couple hours and some cool things happened. And um, this person had a, a skin kind of condition called morphia uh, for a long time and, and wouldn't go away. Wakes up the next day, completely disappeared, completely gone okay now morphine is one of the things that doesn't just vanish it prog- you know it's one of those, like a skin thing it progressively goes away so watch this so our team is praying against uh demonic opposition in this person's life put this put this in your framework and and, and it's not they're not praying for physical healing they're praying against spiritual attacks against this person and then a skin disease evaporates off of that person to so the glory of king jesus who's advancing his kingdom okay uh, i i think that's awesome um and, uh, and we, we do see Jesus, our Savior, shows in the gospel that not all, but some physical afflictions are to, tied to demonic. Jesus himself, go, go study, go read your Bibles. Go read your Bibles. This is all real. And then secondly, um, uh, a couple weeks ago, I shared a, a story uh, from the pulpit about how two years ago the lord spoke to me to give uh money to a fedex driver his money was like his family was in need and i i met with um his, his girlfriend his kid and uh and, and his mom and just this really cool moment where like hey i felt the lord like wants me to provide for your family all that stuff and then two two years later i get a text three weeks ago uh, of an unknown number and someone it was I didn't, someone i didn't know introducing themselves and saying hey i am so-and-so's i'm the FedEx driver's girlfriend. I don't know if you remember me, but I'm in a really, I won't go into details of what she shared, but she's in a really dark season in her life. And so we scheduled a, 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 phone, a phone call, and I said this. I said, hey, uh, and she's like, she's like, you know, I've seen, and listen, I am not knocking uh, uh, psychiatry or counseling or medication. That's God's common grace. We are embodied individuals. No one here from the pulpit would ever say that um, there aren't physical, natural solutions to what could very well be physical and natural causes. I'm not saying that. I'm not, I'm not like dogging that at all. But what for her, what she told me on the phone is I've seen behavioral specialists. I'm on medication. I've seen psychiatrists. And I am so, I'm struggling. I am struggling. I'm struggling. And I don't, I feel hopeless. And I told her my story. And I said, listen, I'm not coming to you as someone who has all the answers. and wants to. I'm coming to you as someone, I told her my story. And I said, Jesus don't set me free he has the power to heal and to deliver and he has brought me healing and he has brought me deliverance. So we have a prayer ministry, come and see what happens. She comes a couple weeks ago. She comes to get prayer with our prayer ministry and, when she comes for, and then she schedules a second session. And when she comes, she tells our prayer ministry this Wednesday, she goes, the change that I have felt is indescribable. It's indescribable. So much so, so much so that people are asking me what in the world has happened to you? there's something different that has changed in your life and what she her words not mine what she told the prayer ministry is i have seen the counselors i've seen the psychiatrists and i have never felt this change in my life since you all prayed for me in the name of jesus christ so much so that she's scheduling a third meeting to encounter more of the depths of Jesus' love and heart for and on and on wednesday the holy spirit done showed up and did some crazy inner healing work because our god is alive and he's healing, and he's moving, and he's stirring. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful what he's doing. So those are the fun stories. Those are the great stories of what he's doing. I'm going to shift gears here. I'm going to talk about deliverance. In verse 16 in our text, we see people are coming to the apostles, and they're afflicted with unclean spirits. So here's what Scripture teaches. There is, church, I got, I got news for you if you're wrestling with this. There's a supernatural realm to our universe, Okay. It's the unseen realm. Scripture is crystal clear. Could not be clear about the unseen realm. And that supernatural realm directly influences the natural. Directly influences the natural. And there's two kingdoms in that unseen realm, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God. The kingdom of darkness is made up of fallen angels led by Satan who hate God and especially hate the church and want to destroy you and me. They hate us. They They hate Christ in us and they want to seek to kill us. And one of the primary ways that Scripture teaches us that these unclean spirits, these fallen angels, come against us is demonization. Possession is a bad word. Demonization is the word in the Greek, meaning this. Somehow these fallen angels, unclean spirits, have get access, get an open door into our lives, and they can get a stronghold in our lives that needs to be broken off, and they need to be cast off with the stronghold. That's like... Again, this is what we see Jesus came to do. Jesus was an exorcist. The apostles were an exorcist. And the reason I want to press in here is this. Is there's a, a kind of this naive mindset in the church today that uh, I am untouchable to the demonic. When there's common refrains throughout, littered throughout the New Testament of saying spiritual protection is not guaranteed for the believer. You need to be walking with, not in fear, We you not fear that which has been conquered, but walking with a healthy awareness and alertness of the enemy's nature and his schemes. 2 Corinthians 2 2 says, we're not ignorant of the enemy's schemes, so he doesn't get an advantage over us. We're walking naively thinking that I can do what I want, say what I want, consume what I want, drink what I like, 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 watch what I want, uh, uh, participate in pagan activities, whatever, whatever I want to do, I can do whatever I want, and the enemy can't touch me, okay? So one, I think there's this naive uh, false teaching in the church today that we are untouchable to the demonic, but secondly, what I want to press against is in the church today, we believe that all of our internal problems are purely natural. And again, no one listen, no one, no one hear me say something I'm not saying. We are embodied beings. Yes, there could be chemical imbalance. Yes, there very well are things physically that, that we might have to press into in God's common grace to go see the counselor and see the psychiatrist. What I am saying is this, is to be faithful to scripture, to be faithful to our savior, we have to, we have, to have a framework that maybe, just maybe with certain people in certain situations, there's, there's something unnatural, there's something supernatural taking place behind the scenes as well. Called, called demonic influence, a demonic stronghold that needs to be bound and cast away, okay? We have to have that framework. And I've read um, a lot of Christian books on, uh, on shame and over the years, personally, and, and uh, it's just interesting in my experience of what the Lord's done in my life through healing and deliverance is, is in some of the books in shame, and I respect you guys. I love these guys. Over the years, as I was, I was bound by shame and self-hatred, as they'd say, get a, a you know, note card in your in your pocket and every time you have a negative self-thought just make a check mark boom 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 well what happens before 10 a.m when you fill up 50 of those bad boys right like 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 for me what, what the lord did to me what i shared i encourage you to listen to uh the sermon on pentecost on Pente- the sermon on pentecost in acts 2 is what the lord did in my life is he showed to me that nick not all your thoughts were your thoughts not all your thoughts are your thoughts right and so for me, when the Lord brought healing and deliverance to my life, I had voices leave me. I could put away the note cards. There weren't, any, there weren't a bunch of check marks like there were before. And there's no framework. And the reason I'm so passionate about this is because the story of my life, because the Christian church is only, only thinking through the natural lane. They're only thinking on the natural plane. So we write books, and we adopt the world's methodology, and what I needed was not another book or not another method to track all the— I had company, I believe— that, needed to be healed, that I needed to be healed from and, and all that stuff, okay? And so we have to adopt that mentality. And, and, and I'll say this, and I'll move on. The past year and a half, over, I've, over the past year and a half, I have had over 10 prayer times where Christians have manifested unclean spirits. Believers have manifested unclean spirits. I'll spare you the juicy details. Kids are present, but it's, it's exactly like we see uh, Jesus do in the scriptures. That's, that's what I'm telling you, to give you a framework of what, I, what I'm saying, when I'm saying manifested unclean spirits. But the testimonies that have come from those people, when we've bound stuff and sent stuff where it belongs, is, is, oh my gosh, the freedom I'm walking in is something I never thought was possible. We're hearing people say that I've had voices leave, I've had compulsions leave, that I never thought I would break free from this stronghold in my life. So the reason I share this, and I'm slowly wrapping w- up with this, is this. Is as your pastor, as your pastor, I want, to, I want you to be free. I want you to walk in freedom. If Jesus Christ is inviting you to walk in a new freedom today, Um, I want you to press into that. So if you're here today and you're wrestling with a compulsive addiction you can't shake, or crippling self-hatred and anxiety and depression that you can't break off, and there seems to be a power behind this stuff that is beyond the natural, then I want to invite you to come and talk to me. Or if you're a female, talk to Kristen Lester, who heads up our intercessory team. And we'd love to pray for you and see what happens and see what Jesus does. It might be natural, and Jesus just comes to, to, uh, to, to bind up some inner wounds and heal you. Or there might be something there that needs to be broken off of you. But I want to encourage you to do that. This is all real, and Jesus is still in the business of setting people free. He's still in the business of setting people free. And then secondly, and this is where I'll wrap up, is Jesus wants his church not just to be open to this. He wants us to be obedient. I think, I think we go wrong when we, when we go to the, the commands in the text of scripture saying, oh, I'm open but cautious. Well, why don't we become obedient and faithful? Right? And so I think Jesus wants to, what if Jesus wants to set us free so we can be agents of freedom to the dying and lost and broken world around us? Jesus heals the demoniac in Luke 8. And when the demoniac wants to go and chill in the boat with Jesus in the 12, Jesus says, you go to your home and you go to your friends and you tell them everything I've done for you. The first missionary to the Gentiles was a demonized man who got set free by Jesus. And Jesus says, what I've done, you go do. And you go tell them that I'm healer and I'm deliverer and I'm savior. And I'm coming to usher in a kingdom that is far more powerful than the kingdom of darkness. So the greatest privilege on the planet Earth is to be a follower of Jesus and to be invited into the restoration work that he wants to do in all of creation. And yes, it's the supernatural, and yes, it manifests in all the natural ways that Jesus tells us to live our lives, right? It is good, like exactly like the outreach talk last week with we Jessica up here and sharing the vision we're passionate about, good deeds done in love to those around us. Yes and amen, we'll wash feet, we'll pick up trash, we'll feed the homeless, go to the incarcerated and preach the gospel. And as we go, we just, we see and, and prayerfully submit to the leading and the power of the Spirit, and see what He wants to do as well. But this is something that is a lock in step with how the kingdom advances. And basically, the way it works is this: is Revelation twenty one three through five. Uh, I'll put the verses on the screen. Is um, is the kingdom that's coming? Okay, and I'll read this and then conclude. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Isn't that beautiful? That He will dwell with them. He's with us, and we'll be with Him forever. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. And look at this. This is beautiful. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. It's beautiful. The work that Jesus Christ came to do was to make all things new. And he invites us to partner with him in in this world to make messy things beautiful and to make things new for the glory of King Jesus. Preaching the gospel, seeing people saved from their sins, and reconciled to him. And, and who knows what if, what if he's got so much more in store for us, more people coming to know him, more people being healed and delivered because in Acts 5, what we see is Jesus Christ renewing all things. The apostles coming and the burden, the afflicted, the broken coming in and they had front row seats to, to heaven invading their, through their prayers and through their obedience. They were pulling down this future heaven reality, the kingdom of God to the world and people were leaving let it be said through our obedience to christ people leaving and said i was once a mess in my sins lost and on a highway to hell and then jesus came and set me free He cleansed me from my sin. He reconciled me to the Father. He filled me with the Holy Spirit. I am brand new. Maybe said that people came in at Solomon's portico and said, I was once blind, but now I see. I met Jesus and he healed me. I was once bound and afflicted and had things I couldn't shake. And then I came to this portico and I met Jesus, the Savior of the world, the healer and the deliverer, and he set me free. And they go and they tell their families, and great multitudes come. That's how the gospel spreads is when the real Jesus comes and really cleans up our mess. And that's what he's done in my life, and that's what he's doing in our church, and what he's done in our life, and what he's continuing to do because he's faithful, he's our Savior, and he's still enthroned. And the, the refrain that he is doing and he wants to do through us is this, Behold, I am making all things new. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord Jesus, that um, that out of love for us, Jesus, you don't keep distance from our mess, but the word became flesh and dwelt among us and entered into our mess, our sin-cursed world, the demonically infiltrated world. You became sin for us, you who knew no sin so that we could receive forgiveness and cleansing, and righteousness, and peace with God. So we say, thank you, Jesus, that you make messy things beautiful. And this came at a great cost to you, God. So thank you, Lord Jesus, for your faithfulness to us, for your love for us, that you make all things new, God. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, for great outpouring of your presence and your Spirit upon us. We pray the same prayer that our early church fathers prayed in Acts 4 that as we go into our community, into our neighborhoods, and boldly proclaim in love your kingdom and your gospel, that you would stretch out your hand, God, to set the captive free, Lord Jesus. You have so much compassion for those who are afflicted and bound. You have so much compassion for those who are walking in physical infirmities and affliction. And we want to see your compassion manifest in our lives, God. We want to see your kingdom come. And your name to be glorified as the one who heals and delivers and to change lives, Lord Jesus. So pour out your spirit upon us. We raise our hands. We step up to the plate. And we want to say as we go, would you be the one who swings the bat and moves, Lord Jesus? You have far more in store for your church. You have far greater plans than we could ever think, dare, ask, or imagine. We have faith, Lord God that you're still on the move. We have faith that you are still healing and you are still delivering and you are still saving. And we wanna say yes and amen and go where you're going, God. So we'll go to the brokenness in our societies, God. And we'll pray that you bring us the broken and the afflicted, Lord God. And may we partner with you and bring your redeeming love, Lord God, to those in need. We cannot do this without your spirit. Apart from you, it's impossible. So come, Holy Spirit, and have your way. This is your body. The church here at The Transit is your body. You are the head, and we are the body. So may we be your hands and feet, and may your hands and feet go where you want to go and do what you want to do and what you've done in history past. We pray this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.